have had days like that, right? <laughs> hey, uh, it's, it's good to have all of you with us at all of our churches today because we're in week three of our series entitled Bad Blood. And if you've not been with us for the past few weeks, I really would encourage you to go back and watch and, and listen to all of these because what we've been learning is some very important principles that you really need to know if you're going to deal with bad blood in the relationships that you have that have or have been infected by that. So if you've not been, like I said, you can go on our website, you can go on our app and you can watch or you can listen to that because here's the thing, to have a full grasp of this four-week conversation, you have to listen to week one because week one is the foundation for week two and week one and two are the foundation for what we're talking about today and week one, two, and three are the foundation for what we're going to be talking about next week. It's very important. Otherwise, you're going to use next week's conversation as a weapon instead of a tool. So what this series is really all about about is this. There are some things that we need to know or we're able to know, I should say it this way, in order to bring our relationships that have bad blood in them back to a place of peace or health. And, and that really is the heart, that really is the motivation behind this series, trying to figure out how to help all of us overcome bad blood in our relationships um, that just have really gone on a path that most of us never wanted. Now, in week one of this series, we learned the primary source for why we have bad blood in relationships. And if you remember, it wasn't what most of us think that it is most of the time. Most of us, we think it's because they're so difficult or they're so impossible or because they are this or they are that. But if you've been with us for the past two weeks, I'm going to ask you to say it with me again to remind ourselves of what is the primary source for why we have bad blood in relationships. And, and here's what I know. I've said this each week. This takes a lot of intentionality. 
in order to go back and focus on this when we're experiencing that. And it takes even more humility. And it was three words. And I want all of us at all of our churches to say it together. With, let's say it with the passion we've learned to say it. So let's all say it together. I am needy. Uh, we, got, we can have better passion about this, okay? Let's say it together with passion. I am needy. Now, even though we say that, and we've said it for several weeks, and we've reminded ourselves that this is the primary reason why we have blood, even though we say that in real everyday life, this is so hard to own, isn't it? When we're starting to experience bad blood in a relationship, it is really hard to first look at the relationship problem and say, do you know what part of the problem is here? I want something from you and I'm not getting it. That, that's really hard to look first at yourself as a primary part of the problem. It is so hard to do because the truth is none of us like the idea that we might be needy or someone would infer that we are needy because see, the reality is we are and that just reveals part of our neediness not to be known as needy, right? So because of that, there is something else that we all need to know about ourselves that contributes to bad blood in relationships. And James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, he mentioned this in the passage that we started this series with uh, in week one. And so today we're just going to look at verse two. In week one, we looked at verse one and two, but today we're going to look at verse two to kick off our conversation. Here's what James said. He says, you want something. And we said, okay, what was the something that we all wanted? Well, it is a God-given need or a God-given desire that has got corrupted in some kind of way. And it becomes this internal urge, this very strong urge to get fulfilled. And we want it fulfilled by someone that we are in a relationship with. And James says, you want something, but here's the thing, you don't get it. So he says, you enact behaviors where you kill relationships. And then he says, you want something, but you don't get it, so you kill. And then he starts another statement. He goes, you covet and, and many of you have asked me to kind of talk about that a little bit more because we talk, covered it just quickly in the first week. But basically this idea is that you covet is this, is you look around at what you believe other people have in their relational life and you say to the persons in your life, why can't you be more like that? And it's not just that we look around at what other people have in their relational life, whether that be on social media or conversations, and we walk away believing they have something that they probably don't have, and then we compare our husband or wife or our children, our parents, our coworkers, our friends with that. And we start coveting what other people have. But another way we do it, and I think this is another way it happens in the church world, is we read something about relationships in a book, or we go to a seminar, or we go to a conference, or we hear some kind of leadership podcast, or, or we hear this, read this devotional, and it's on relationships. And because we don't look at it as a tool to change our life and deal with our neediness and our relationship with God... What we do, James says, is you want something, and so instead of dealing with what's going on in you while you're so desperate to get your needs met, he says what you do is you start coveting. And so we take all that information we learn from books and seminars and podcasts and all of those kind of things that we hear, and we use it as a weapon to compare other people to. 
And then we go, well, you should be like this, or if you're a good husband, or if you're a good wife, or, you know, so-and-so said that this is what good people do in the workplace, or this is what good friends do, or this is what good children do, or good parents do. And so you covet because you're doing this life of comparison all the time. He says, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. So how else is James saying that we contribute to bad blood in relationships? You could say it this way. Needy people become demanding people. See, the reality is because of sin in this world, all of us in some area of our life, we have a need or a desire that has gotten corrupted and it now has become an unrealistic expectation. And so we become demanding of others that we are in relationship with to meet that need. And if they don't, we don't consider them a good person in our life. We don't consider them a helpful person in our life. And so we want something, but we don't get it. So we demand it. And James says those demands are played out through our fights and our quarrels that we have in our relationships. And those fights and those quarrels, they create more bad blood, which is why last week we introduced the idea that forgiveness is the vehicle to move you down the path toward peace in a relationship. We said it like this, peace about the relationship begins when your demand for payment ends. And what we learn from the Apostle Paul is it really is possible to find peace about the relationship, even if they never do anything to make peace in the relationship, which means this, forgiveness paves the path to peace in a relationship. Now, here's what I know. In one week's time, you are most likely still working on this forgiveness step because most people are not able to say, I forgive them and then just move on. Maybe that's your story and that's awesome if that's your story. But forgiveness, it oftentimes is a process. It takes time. It's not just a one and done kind of thing. For most of us, there's this continual process of learning to forgive and cancel the debt. To be able to go to someone and say, do you know what? I'm not going to hold a grudge against you anymore. I'm not going to hold you hostage to this debt anymore. I'm not going to demand or require payment about this anymore. I am going to drop my demand for payment. I'm going to take the first step to get rid of the bad blood in our relationship. I am going to forgive the debt. Now, if you started working on this path last week, what you discover as you work on the path to choose to forgive, that it takes another step. It requires taking the step of a conversation. And that conversation, it may start with a phone call. It may start with a text message. It may start with an email that says, hey, can we talk? And eventually, you begin to realize, you don't, you don't go to that text message, that phone call to solve the problem. You just say, can we talk? Because what you discover is you go down this path of peace or, or forgiveness to find peace about the relationship and even peace in the relationship. You find there eventually must be a sit down, a conversation. There must be a meeting. And for most of us, when it comes to bad blood in our relationships, <laughs> 
That's like the last thing we want to do. And you know why it's the last thing we want to do? Do you know why it's a problem for you and for me to want to sit down and have a conversation? Because the prospect of a conversation, it seems so overwhelming and so impossible. Do you know why it feels so overwhelming and so impossible? Because I am needy. And I wanted something out of this relationship, and I'm not getting it. So now my emotions are involved, and they are charged because I did not get it. And so we feel like, there's no way I'm going to have this conversation. Nothing good will come out of it. So we get really good at avoiding the conversation. Like the last thing we want to experience, the last thing we want to actually do is sit down and have the conversation with them. It's like, no thank you. I will live my life without a relationship with that person before I have a conversation. Or I will live a life without the benefit that that person used to bring in my life. I will do without things in my life rather than have a conversation. Unfortunately, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what Jesus says you must do. Which means if you're at one of our churches today and you don't consider yourself a Christian and you don't really consider yourself a church person, well, good news for you today, you don't have to do any of this. But we'd love for you to become a follower of Jesus Christ because we believe it'll make your life better and make you so much better at life. But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, listen, I've got a command for you in regards for how you deal with bad blood relationally. And basically, his command says, I want you to sit down and I want you to have a conversation with that person about it. And I know you dread it and I know you fear it, but that is exactly what you must do. And some of you go, where do you find that command from Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 18 and Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at both passages today if you want to follow along. In Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to go first. Verse 15, here's how Jesus says it. If your brother sins against you. Jesus tells us how to deal with it if our brother sins against us. If our brother does us wrong, he tells us how to do it. Here's how most of us would finish this sentence. If your brother sins against you, you blast it on Facebook or some other kind of social media and tell the world how hurt you are and how bad this person is. Or if your brother sins against you, you confide in your small group and tell him how wounded and hurt that you are and how bad this person is. Or you find a trusted friend and you tell them because they can understand your pain. Or you find some sounding board so that they can validate how wrong that person was and how right you are. Or you go see a counselor and you talk to a counselor about it, but you never have a conversation with a person. You sweep it under the rug of counseling. Or you go into some kind of isolation and you self-medicate through food or something other kind of indulgent behavior, right? But none of those things are going to get rid of bad blood. And it's not what Jesus says do. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, everybody say this on all of our churches, say this next word with me when I get there. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Just let that sink in. I think we're all convicted enough. Let's go home. <laughs> no, we're not. You see, none of us like this. N none of us want to do this. 
which is why the majority of people who consider themselves followers of Jesus Christ find every reason to justify why they are right to talk to everyone else and to completely avoid the person they have a problem with. But Jesus is very clear. You go and tell them. You go and have a conversation. In fact, here's how Jesus completes his statement. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Notice this next line, between you and him alone. In other words, nobody else should even know about this at this point. You go and tell it between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Let me tell you why this part between you and him alone is so important. Here's why you should deal directly with the person that you have bad blood. If you don't deal directly with the person that you have bad blood, not only will your bad blood spill out about that person every time they come up in a conversation, every time you have have to have an interaction with them, but Jesus is saying it's the only way to restore the relationship. See, to not talk to them, Jesus is saying, means you won't restore the relationship. And most of the time, what we do is we go, oh, I'm not going to talk to them. I would never talk to them. I can't talk to them because it won't do any good. I just know them. It would never do any good. And Jesus says, what won't do any good is if you don't talk to them. But he says, if you talk to them, at least you have a chance to regain the relationship. And then you've done your part to have peace about the relationship. Because see, the truth is, there's another principle here that Jesus is teaching us. The truth is, conflict handled well often strengthens the relationship. So Jesus is saying, listen, your path to restoration is through conversation. Now, this is not the only time that Jesus gives this command. He also says something very similar in Matthew chapter 5, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to notice what what he says in Matthew chapter 5. He says these words. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. And then notice what your next action step is once you remember. He says, first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, here's the thing. If you follow the teachings of Jesus... You know that when Jesus showed up on this earth, he raised the standard for everything about relationships, which is why Jesus started out verse 23 by saying, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, and most of us are thinking, what does this have to do with offering your gift at the altar? What does this have to do with anything? But this statement from Jesus, it is loaded with cultural meaning. See, there was one altar for all the Jewish people to offer their sacrifices on for their sins. It was in Jerusalem. 
So one day every year, people would make this trip to Jerusalem. For some people, they walk two, three, four days maybe even to get there. And then they'd have to buy the sacrifice from the religious leaders of that day because they had rigged this thing because that was the only way your sacrifice would qualify. So you're going to get ripped off in the process. So they'd have to go make this trek to Jerusalem. And then they'd have to deal with all this politics and religion about getting a sacrifice to make a sacrifice to atone for their sins that they had committed all year long. So this seems like a pretty important day for them, right? I mean, it seems like a pretty crucial moment in their system of forgiveness. And it is a crucial moment. This moment at the altar, it has massive meaning to their audience because they desire to be connected, or to Jesus' audience, because they desire to be connected to God. I mean, this, this system was what they had to go through to make things right with God. So Jesus says, imagine all the chaos of this. And you have made a couple day trip and now you've stood in line for maybe hours to offer your sacrifice and you're dealing with this animal that you're going to be using and you got your family and, and it's just so frustrating. And then you get to the altar. You finally are there at the altar and you remember that you have a brother or sister that has something against you. Now I want to pause there for just a minute. Think about the tension of that moment. But I don't want you to miss the difference in what Jesus is saying in Matthew 18 and in Matthew 5. Because in Matthew 18, he says, if your brother or sister has sinned against you, what do you do? You go have a conversation. But in Matthew chapter 5, this, this, this command is, if your brother or sister has something against you, Meaning in Matthew 18, Jesus says, what do you do when it's their fault? And in Matthew 5, what do you do when it's your fault, right? And when you look at both of these, when you overlay Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, Jesus says the answer is the same. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, I want you to go alone. I want you to have that conversation just between you and them. And now here in Matthew 5, he says, listen, when it dawns on you, when you remember that he or she is mad at you, Jesus says, you need to leave your gift there in front of the altar. And everybody is sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? That would just be extremely ridiculous. I mean, after all this time and energy to get there. If you want to kind of compare what that would be like in 21st century America, it would be like something like this. You are at an airport about ready to step on a plane with a team to go on a mission trip. And you say to them about the time that you're aboarding the plane, I, I can't go. And of course, they're going to want to know why. Like, did you forget your passport? We thought we checked with everybody. Did you forget something? Do you not have enough money? Like, did you forget your money? Is, is your family okay? And you go, no, I just got this text. And I just found out that one of my coworkers is mad at me. I can't go. I have to go make this right. And everybody going on that trip would be going, what? You can deal with that when we get back. Send them a text saying, hey, I'm sorry. Can we talk later? We'll deal with it. Like, we got to go on a mission trip and do ministry for Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you leave your gift there and you first go and deal with the bad blood in your relationship before you try to go do ministry for me. See, everybody listening to Jesus that day would have gone, man, that's just ridiculous. 
To which Jesus would have said, if you think it's ridiculous, if you think it's extremely ridiculous, if you think it's over the top kind of ridiculous, then you're just beginning to understand how it is important, how important it is for you to have a conversation with that person that you're struggling with instead of other people. In fact, he's also basically inferring this. He's saying, before you can make things right with God, you've got to make things right with others. I don't want your sacrifice until you've made things right with my other children. So it's like Jesus is really saying, like, if you're really worried about your relationship with me, if you're working on how to get things right between me and you, then you need to quit looking up and down to me and you. You need to start looking from side to side and deal with the bad blood in your relationships. So Jesus says, listen, if you got bad blood with someone because they wronged you, or if you have bad blood with someone because you wronged them, what do you do? You go. I just make sure we're all clear on this. If you have something against someone because they wronged you, everybody say it with me. What do you do? Go. go that's right. And what if someone has something against you? What do you do? You go. go. That's right. And please hear me. Talking to a friend, talking to a counselor, talking to a small group, talking to a coworker, talking to your spouse, talking to a parent, talking to a classmate at school is never a substitute for having a conversation with the person that you are having the struggle with. That's what Jesus is saying. And while you may need to go to a counselor to figure out how to get out of your emotions and figure out why you are so desperate to have your needs met, and how to have that conversation, you don't need to see a counselor to figure out if you need to have a conversation. Listen, counseling, the reason people, we do counseling is this. It's part of a process to getting us emotionally healthy enough to have the level of conversations and relationships that we should be having. Counseling is never a substitute for talking to the person, which means this. Dealing with bad blood in a relationship, it's not complicated. It's not even complex of what you should do after you admit that you're needy and after you've chosen to forgive. You know what Jesus says your next step is. But it's difficult, isn't it? You know why it's difficult? It's difficult because I am needy, you are needy, and we all have this desire for our needs to be met. And we have this strong urge, James says, for our needs to be met. And so what happens is our needs weren't met. And so now we have this anger, we have this rage, we have all this emotion, we have all this hurt, we have all this wounding. And because our emotions are involved, it is so difficult. But Jesus says, no, here's what you do. You go. That's what you do. No matter who's wrong, you don't have to assess the blame to decide if you should go or not. You don't even have to diagnose the situation. You, you don't have to wait till you like, you're, you're ready and you've talked to enough people to figure this thing out. You don't even have to pray about it, Jesus says. I already told you what to do. You just go. Basically, what Jesus is saying is when, you, when you've been wrong... And when you've wronged, you take the first step toward making it right. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, yeah, but man, if I, if I do this, if I always take the first step, they're just going to keep walking on top of me all the time. They're just going to keep taking advantage of me. And I want to go and tell you something. That is a very real concern. It's a genuine concern. 
So next week, we're going to talk about how do you set up healthy boundaries in your life so that you can have peace about the relationships where the people are over needy. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you something. Before you can get to a place where you can set up healthy boundaries, you have to take step one, own that I am needy. It's why my emotions get involved when things happen and I don't like the way they happened. And then I have to take the step of forgiveness and then I have to do my part to have the conversation. And then when I figure out, okay, it's not going to work, but I've done everything I could as much as life within you live at peace with all, then I create boundaries. But if we don't do these first three steps, then the step I'm going to give you next week, you're going to use it as a weapon, not a tool. And it's going to create more harm and more hurt in your relationships. So Jesus is basically saying, before you give up on the relationship, whether you are the transgressor or whether you've been transgressed upon, you first need to try to make it right. So here's the question. How do you make it right when someone did you wrong? Or excuse me, when you did, I'll miss this now. How do you make it right when you did someone wrong? Like you did someone wrong. Here's what you do. You make it right by confessing you are wrong. In other words, you repent. Now, this word repentance, it's a powerful word. Re repentance is going to someone and saying, I was wrong and I'm not going to do that anymore. Repentance says, I take full responsibility for my actions. I was wrong. And then you say, will you forgive me? See, repentance is not just blowing off what somebody's feeling. It's like, it's not saying, well, I'm just so sorry I hurt your feelings. That's not that kind of thing. Repentance is going, I take full responsibility for my wrong. You make no excuses for your behavior. You just repent. Now, that's how you handle it when it's your fault. But what do you do when you've been wrong? Like, what do you do when somebody wronged you? Well, here's the thing. You take the first step. And that's so counterintuitive because you, I, I've had so many conversations over the years with people. And I said, well, if they wronged you, you still need to go talk to them. And they're like, oh, they wronged me. They need to come to me first. No, Jesus said, what do you do? First, go to them. That, that's what you do. So here's what you do in this situation. You reconcile. You, you go to them and say, hey, th this felt really wrong. Or I just want you to know that that really hurt when you did this. But, but maybe I misunderstood or maybe I, I, I didn't understand. Maybe you were having a bad day or, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know what happened here, but it really felt bad. And I love our relationship. I love you enough that I want to make this right. And I don't want this to come between us. Now, I'm just going to tell you, the hardest part about this reconciliation thing is that it requires us to turn confrontation into conversation. Do you know why it feels like confrontation to us? Because there was something we wanted from this person and we did not get it. And so our emotions got involved and now we have this emotionally charged thing and we want to go set them right. Because after all, you took something from me. I feel like you withheld something good from my life. And we have all these emotions. 
And so going and reconciling when somebody else has wronged you, it requires you to turn what feels like confrontation into a safe place of conversation. And that's not easy when you're needy. It's why all of us have said at some point in our life, whenever there was conflict in our life, well, I'm just not really good at conflict. Well, I don't know anybody that's great at conflict. The people that say they are great at conflict scare me to death. We'll talk about how you deal with them next week. But the reality is, as followers of Jesus Christ, you don't have a choice of whether you turn confrontation into a conversation. You've got to figure out how to remove your emotions and your neediness out of this, which requires you turning what feels like all this emotion that you feel like should be righted by this person, that should be taken care of by this person, into this safe conversation. And while turning what feels like confrontation into conversation is really, really, really hard, and it feels like it costs you so much emotionally and spiritually, I'm going to tell you, if you choose not to do this, it's going to cost you so much more. It's why so many of you have all these relationships that you've just walked away from, and they're just dead now, because you never had conversations. It's like... When you should have had a conversation, whether you wronged them or they wronged you, you just said, I would rather walk away from that relationship. So it's so important for you to carve out time in your calendar to set up a lunch, drop by the house. You know, it's, it's going to cost you time and energy, but I'm telling you, it's going to cost you so much more the longer you hold on to it. So what are some practical steps for us to apply what Jesus said about going and having a conversation? Well, in both of these passages... He basically said, I want you to first go. He says, I want you to go. I want you to go to them alone. I want you to go and keep it between you and them. And he says, I want you to go first and be reconciled. And that statement of word reconciled means that Jesus is saying that really in your heart, you truly want the relationship to be reconciled. So if you don't want that, then that's a whole nother issue you've got to deal with. And you've got to go back to step one and step two so you can get back to there. But what does it mean when Jesus says, I want you to first go? There's three things you want to write these down. The first one is you go immediately. You go immediately. When it happens, you go and you have the conversation. You don't talk to 50 other people. You figure out how to get out of your emotions in your head and find, you find your safety in Christ. And some of you, you don't need to wait another day. For others of you, like when you feel bad blood this week, you need to go. In fact, later on, the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament letter that he wrote to the, the church at Ephesus, he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And I think that's a great rule of thumb. I mean, like, if you feel something, you need to go immediately because it's going to cost you more the longer you wait. You know what it's going to cost you? It's going to cost you more emotional energy because you're going to be amping this person up in your emotions because they failed you. They let you down. They, they, they wronged you. They hurt you. And now they're going to be a monster. And the longer you play those emotions, you have more self-inflicted wounding because they did it one time. And now you've replayed this a hundred times. And so now in your mind, they've hurt you a hundred times over. So the longer you wait, the more it's going to hurt you. So you go immediately. You keep short accounts. And then the third thing first go means is you go directly. Jesus said, first go alone. And then let me just ask you a question. Whenever you and a friend have bad blood, you and a spouse, you and a coworker, you and a, a fellow student, you and somebody in your small group, who's the first person that you tell? For most of us, it's anybody but the person that we have bad blood with, isn't it? 
See, that's the way most of us work out or try to work out our problems in our relationships, and it just doesn't work. We'll tell anybody. We'll go to somebody and say, hey, please help me. I've been so hurt. I've been so wronged. And we have so many times. And we're looking for them to validate us, to listen to us. And the reason we do, there's this temptation that Satan uses because there's just something about negative bonding. There's something about when we tell other people and we get them on our side and they're like, oh yeah, you should go after that person and they did you so wrong. It just makes us feel better. Which is most of the time, the last person we ever talk to is a person we have the struggle with. But what if we took the energy and what if we took the time that we spent with the person that we have bad blood with instead of with everybody else? It just might make the relationship stronger. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, if you go alone and you keep it between you and them, if they hear you, you have gained a brother. Because see, that's what conflict handled well does. It strengthens the relationship. So you go directly. You keep it between the two of you. Literally be able to say to them when you sit down and have a conversation, say, I came immediately and I came directly to you. Do you know how much safety that creates in a conversation with a person when you tell them, I haven't talked to anybody else about this but God? And I want our relationship to be right. So I came to you immediately and I came to you directly. This is just us talking here. And then first go also means you go humbly. Jesus says first go, which means you got to humble yourself to take the first step. Because if you discover that you have sinned against someone or even if you sin or someone sinned against you, he says, you humble yourself and you take the first step. You taking the first step is a step of humility to say, I want this relationship to work right and I'm not God and it's not my job to, uh, to uh, assess the blame or, or to put the blame somewhere. It's just to come to you and say, hey, I am so sorry for what I did wrong or, you know, that what happened, I, I'm sure you didn't mean to wrong me the way that or hurt me, can we talk about it? You, you go humbly. And here's the other reason I've discovered that you have to go humbly is because you may not be right. Like, have you ever went and had a conversation with a person and mean they were a monster in your mind and they were this evil villain? And then when you sat down, you just had the, you just were completely wrong in your perspective and you're walking away going, I am so sorry. <laughs> I just read this all wrong. I, I got up in my emotions and I'm so sorry. So you go immediately. Use a 24-hour rule of thumb. You go directly to the person. Anything short of going directly to them does not solve or help the problem. And then you go in humility because you may not be right. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't know who you have bad blood with. But what Jesus is very clear about is the path to peace about a relationship is through turning confrontation into conversation. So here's my question this week. This is a challenge. Will you go have a conversation this week with that person that you've been avoiding in order to seek peace in a relationship? Not to set the person straight, not to confront them, but to say, hey, I, I want this relationship to work. I, I, just, I just don't want there to be bad blood anymore. Will, will you do that? And then here's the other challenge for you. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, when someone comes to you this week, and they go, oh, can you believe what so-and-so did to me? Will you go, hang on just a second. Have you talked to them about it? 
And if they say yes, then you go, okay, then I will be glad to go with you and talk to them with you. Because Matthew 18, if you go back and read the passage, it says, go to them alone first, keep between you and them. And if they hear you, you've gained a brother. But if they don't hear you, then you can take somebody else with you. But it doesn't say you have, it's okay to have a conversation with somebody else. It says then take somebody else with you. So when they say, yeah, I talked to him, but it didn't work out. Then you go, well, let me go with you. And here's the thing. Here's what you discover. When you look at a person and say, well, let me go with you. You know what? At that point in time, you realize whether they want to reconcile or not. They go, oh, no, 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 no. Well, Jesus says, this is what we're supposed to do. I'll go with you. Maybe I can help, gain, help y'all gain perspective or something. So, so will you hold people accountable to, hold, to have the conversation? And here's why this is so important, folks. In order to have peace with God, Jesus said, you need to seek peace with those you have bad blood with. You know why this is so important to him? Because the person you have bad blood with is one of Jesus' children that he loves. And, and no parent wants to watch sibling rivalry. We, we all want our children to get along. And even greater than that, Jesus set the example by giving up his life for people who wronged him. And then he leaves it up to us to follow in his steps to make peace with each other. Don't miss this. Making peace with others clears the path to peace with God. See, when you choose to make peace with each other, it really clears the path for you to feel the kind of peace that God wants you to feel. So what about this person that you have bad blood with? That person that you're dreading having the conversation with? Jesus says, don't wait another day. You need to go immediately. You need to go directly. You need to go to humility. But whatever you do, you need to go. Because your peace with God and with others, it really does depend on it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is, this is a tough command. So we need the power of your Holy Spirit to live it out. Because God, we don't have enough humility in ourselves to do this. In ourselves, we want to set it right. We want them to have to pay. God, I just pray that you help every one of us this week to depend upon you completely, to look at the cross and be reminded of what you did for us and to go with humility and be about reconciliation more than being about being right. God, I, I just pray that you help us go back this week and be re review all three of these steps and just depend on the power of your Holy Spirit to lead us through them because they're so consecutive. God, we need your help. You said that the world would know that we're your disciples by how we love one another. And I just pray that you help us to understand that this whole process is the path to really showing the world what love, sacrificial love, unconditional love, what it really looks like. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everyone, have a great week. We'll see you next week.